Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. It's good to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Zach Stamp. I'm the, the pastor at our Canton location. And uh, again, due to travel and illness and just opportunity, I get the opportunity to share with you guys uh, the entire network uh, this morning, what God has been teaching me. I do want to say a huge shout out to Canton. Thank you for uh, sharing me this morning with the rest of the network. And I pray that regardless of what location you're at this morning, that we would be able to come before the Lord with a postured heart, with open hands and open hearts saying, God, what would you have for me? In the midst of the snow, in the midst of the craziness, God, what would you have for me? And we invite the Lord to speak. I do ask for an extra portion of, of grace. Uh, I uh, hurt my back a couple days ago, um, and I wish I had a really cool story to go along with that, like I was you know, saving a woman from being mugged or something like that. But I was just simply standing up out of my chair, and it, there it went. <laughs> So uh, it hurts. If I happen to crumble here in front of you, that's uh, not a Pentecostal moment. I'm not slain by the Spirit. I'm just in pain. So pray for the Lord's strength. Uh, for those of you who didn't know this, my wife and I served on staff with crew for a while. We were specifically in the Middle East area. And our goal was to reach the Muslim people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we went there to do that. And we saw God do amazing things, amazing things. In fact, some of my best friends today are individuals that we saw come to know the Lord some years ago. And one of the guys that I'm pretty good friends with is a guy by the name of Asif. Uh, Asif came to know the Lord, and he was one of those guys that just is amazing, just the, the generous, kind, loving person, just incredible. He'd give you the shirt off his back kind of a guy. But one of the things that frustrated me about Asif on a regular basis is it seemed like he would treat his pursuit of God, his relationship with God, very passively. Almost like it was a haphazard, um, accidental pursuit of God. Like he was waiting to sort of stumble upon his time with God. And to be very open and transparent with you this morning, uh, I developed a lot of pride. I developed a, a judgmental spirit towards my brother, thinking I was awesome because I would never struggle with stuff like that. <laughs> Again, anytime you think you're awesome, prepare to be rebuked, which of course God did. And what I learned is that ultimately I'm really not that different than a thief. Because there are moments in my relationship with God where I can pursue him with a haphazard, passive, almost accidental spirit. And the thing that's most convicting about it to me is I don't do that with any other area of my life. <laughs> Social media, politics, sports, my family, my wife, our kids, vacation, retirement. I mean, I go all in. I pursue those things with vigor. But yet when it comes to my relationship with God, there are times when I'm looking for the easiest, most convenient path. And what I've been wrestling with and pondering is I wonder if the issue's not so much with my value or my desire of Jesus, but the posture of my pursuit. So what I'd like to do today is I'd like to push reset on our pursuits of God. And I'd like to recalibrate things, not according to the person sitting next to you, not according to me on the stage or, or, or some uh, individual that, that you read their book, but my, my prayer is that we would recalibrate our pursuit of God according to scripture. 
And to sort of work our way through this, I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, we're going to pick up the story in verses 7 through 11. And while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a historical uh, foundation so that when we uh, read the text, it makes sense. At the beginning of Exodus, God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I've got a job for you. And there's going to be really two parts to it. Part number one is you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to say, Pharaoh, let my people go. For those of you who don't know, um, the people of God, the people of Israel were enslaved uh, by Pharaoh in Egypt and they were sort of the economic engine of that country. So their vitality was due to the enslavement of Israel. And and Moses' job was to go to them and and tell Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. That's a big request. give up that economic engine. And, and what happens is he goes and he says, let my people go. And God does a series of miracles that would blow Pharaoh away. And eventually he would let the people of Israel go, which would then lead into Moses's second part of his job, which was then to deliver the people from Egypt to Canaan, from Egypt to the promised land. If you may, he was to lead them. He was to Uber them from Egypt to Canaan. Now, if, if you think that that's not a a big job because it's only about 400 miles, you're wrong. It's a very difficult job. There was no GPS. There was no um, roads or paved roads or anything like that. And, And besides that, Moses isn't just shepherding a few people. He's shepherding hundreds of thousands of people of all ages from Egypt to Canaan. I mean, imagine the logistical challenges that they would have of simply stopping to grab some lunch It would probably take days. It's an exhausting, tiring, overwhelming job. And to make it worse, what we see about uh, the people of Israel, God calls them in chapter 33, a stiff-necked people. Now, what does that mean? Well, very simply, it uh, means that they are very quick to celebrate God, that they're very quick to say, God, you're amazing. I want to worship you. And then in the next breath, abandon him. They're quick to be all in, and then they're quick to retreat. And you see that in actually the, the uh, story of Exodus, right? Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. God does a series of miracles that, uh, you know, uh, like for example, parting the Red Sea. That's kind of a biggie. I've never seen that before. And they experience and they watch God do these amazing things. And as a result, they get to the other side of the Red Sea and they worship God. And then a short time later, they start whining about not having enough food longing for the days of Egypt. So God shows up again and and gives them manna from heaven and they're quick to celebrate, God, God, you're amazing. Thank you for your perfect provision. You are good. And then a short time later, they start whining about not having a variety of food. Sounds like a Stamp family road trip. (laughs) But God shows up and he provides yet again and the people of God celebrate, God, you're awesome. You're amazing. We love you. We worship you. And then a short time later, they start worshiping a golden calf. (laughs) They're stiff-necked people. And before we come down on them and judge them, I, I, I believe that there are moments in my life where I can be just like that. I can be quick to say, God, you are amazing. You are awesome. I worship you. And then in the next breath, I abandon him. Listen, Moses is leading hundreds of thousands of these individuals through rough train, through the desert, from Egypt to Canaan. And this is not in the text, but I'm assuming that there were moments in Moses' journey where he's like, man, is this worth it? 
This is hard work. This is painful. This is not easy. I imagine there were moments where he's just like, this job that God has given me is just sucking the life out of me. Is it even worth it? Again, for many of us this morning, we can relate to that because we're in the middle of managing our careers, our family, our children's schedules, which gets crazy, sports, our, our ministries, our lives, and it's exhausting. In fact, there's moments where it feels like metaphorically we're leading people from Egypt to Canaan. We're tired, we're exhausted. We just wanna get away physically, emotionally, spiritually, but we just don't have the margin to do it. So we keep white knuckling our way through the pain, through the difficulty. Listen, that's where Moses is at. He's got a hard job, a difficult job. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that exhaustion, that's what brings us to Exodus chapter 33. In the midst of that, he pursues God. Check this out. Chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his own tent. Verse 11, and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I love this picture of what we see here. It's in the midst of the chaos, it's in the midst of the busyness, it's in the midst of all the overwhelming things going on that Moses intentionally withdrew from the chaos to meet with God. He withdrew from the camp, he went outside the camp where he could silence his soul, he put up a tent, and he met with God. Now we have to understand that this was not accidental, that this was intentional, Listen, the things that we value in our lives, we pursue intentionally, not accidentally. We pursue things that we value. Let me say it again, that we value. We pursue them with intention. We don't pursue them haphazardly. We don't pursue them accidentally. I mean, imagine with me if, if you pursued your career that way. Boss comes to you, Zach, hey, I need to get this project done. By this date, I'm going to have you do it, and it's going to serve as the foundation of everything else we're doing. I need you to get it done by Thursday. What, what if my response was accidental, and I was just like, you know what? It'll get done when it gets done. One of these weeks, one of these days, you know what? It'll organically happen. <laughs> I'm going to be looking for a new job in a couple weeks. Things we value, we pursue with intention. How about our marriages, our relationships? Have you pursued those accidentally? Listen, some of us have, and we're picking up the pieces of the brokenness and the pain that comes in the wake of a failed marriage. Things that we value, we pursue with intention, not accidentally. I mean, think of it from the perspective, like if you were a marathon runner. I mean, when was the last time you ever saw someone who doesn't run marathons just roll out of bed one day, down a couple Twinkies, put on their shoes, and run 26 miles? 
I just said that and it exhausts me thinking about it. <laughs> if you train for a marathon, you must train with intention. You don't accidentally stumble upon running 26 miles. There's, a, there's training, there's a laser focus that occurs. Again, what you value, you pursue with intention, not an accidental spirit. Probably one of my favorite examples of this would be the, univers the University of Michigan basketball team, right? Having a great year. I understand that, that yesterday was a tough day. Everybody, you know, loses every once in a while. But I think we would all agree that the basketball team this year has a chance, a shot to be national champions. And listen, that didn't happen because they just roll out of bed one day, put on their sneakers and go to the gym and start shooting baskets. In fact, any coach will tell you that a national championship quality team is not developed accidentally. It's done with intention. There's a laser focus. You must change the way you eat. You must change the way you sleep. You must change the way you exercise. You must change, must change the way you practice. You must change everything. There's an intentional laser focus when it comes to wanting to win national championships. And here's the thing that God has just been wrecking my soul on. It's very simply this. For myself and maybe for many of us here today, we want to have a national championship level faith with armchair quarterback engagement. We want depth of soul, and we want it the easiest, most non-invasive way possible. But here's what I'm learning the more and more throughout Scripture, is that the depth of soul that we desire seems to be forged from a deep and often painful wrestling with God. It's seldom the least painful. It's seldom the easiest path. It's almost always the most intentional path. And we ultimately see this with God. Because in the midst of the Genesis 3 fallen world that we lived in, this depraved world where we've all fallen away from the Lord, God sees us, his beloved creation, and doesn't stumble upon redemption. He comes up with an intentional plan where he intentionally sends his son Jesus to walk the path of Golgotha to where he would suffer and he would bleed and die an atoning death on the cross for our sins so that we could be redeemed. Listen, there's a cost to that path. It was not easy. In fact, the very evening before Jesus would do it, he would, he would sweat blood and in painful agony beg God, God, would you take this cup from me? Depth of soul seems to be forged from a deep, often painful wrestling with God. It's usually not the easiest path. It's usually the most intentional. And just, just, just look at a bunch of biblical examples. Um, how about Jacob? Literally wrestled with God. Moses, just read the story. David, up and down all over the place. I mean, there were prophets that were like, Lord, just kill me now, this is so hard. The disciples, they had it really easy. All of them were martyred but one. Right, there, there's this, this, this reality that a depth of soul is forged from painful wrestling with God. Not the easy, it's not usually the easiest path. And for a lot of us this morning, what I want to challenge us to do is just open up our hearts, do a little open heart surgery and say, God, in what ways am I treating you haphazardly? In what ways am I sort of passively, accidentally um, stumbling upon times with you? And if that's you this morning, my prayer is, is that we would shift from accidental to intentional to an intentional pursuit of God, because that's ultimately what we see Moses do. He intentionally pursues God. 
in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of leading people from Egypt to Canaan. I mean, it's a busy time working with the stiff-necked people. What did he do? Moses pursued God intentionally. In the midst of all that, he withdrew from the camp and he went out where there was no noise, where there was quiet. He, he put up a tent and he spent time with God. This was not accidental, this was intentional. And there's three components of this that I'd like to draw our attention to. Number one has to do with time. Now, we don't know exactly what time of the day he did this or for how long he was actually outside the camp. We don't know that. What we do know is that he found a time to spend intentionally pursuing the Lord. Uh, Listen, if, if, if you're anything like me, I can feel shame and guilt from those super spiritual people who talk about waking up at 5 a.m. and spending an hour and a half with God, and you're like, man, how do they do that? I struggle to wake up at 9 a.m. I can feel the shame and guilt as if I have to measure up to that standard, as if they figured out the only time to meet with God, and that it has to be for this amount of time or else you're like a subpar Christian. Listen, what we see with Moses is that the duration and the specific time is not as important as that you find a time, whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes, whether it's the same time every day or random times, that we find a time to separate ourselves from the chaos, to separate ourselves from the busyness, to slow down and encounter God. Second thing we see has to do with with location. Again, we don't know specifically where this location was. We're not sure uh, like how far away from the camp or if, it was, if there was coffee nearby. I don't know. Like, all we know is that it was outside the noise. It was a place where he could go outside the noise to intentionally position himself before God. Listen, I think it's really important for us to find time in the midst of the busyness of our school schedules, in the midst of the busyness of the kids' schedules, in the midst of the busyness of our careers and our social calendars and traveling, to find a time and a place outside the noise where we can just rest in the presence of God. For me, that usually involves coffee. I'm an addict. It's, what, it's the way it is. <laughs> I love going to Starbucks. I love going to Sweetwater. I love going to any place where there's coffee. I walk in, I smell coffee. I'm like, I want to spend some time with Jesus. <laughs> Stirs my affections for the Lord. But for, for me, it's, it's doing that. I go to a coffee shop. But I know a lot of people who can't do that. They, they have a nook in their house where they just turn all the noise off and they engage with God. For some people, I've, I've got a good friend who goes to hotel lobbies because they're free and just sits there and rests with the Lord. For some of us, it may be in our car. Again, the point is not what is one location. The point is that you find a place that you can engage with God. And notice that he did this in the midst of the noise going on. Again, if you're anything like me, you have a tendency to say, once everything slows, once the chaos subsides, then I'll meet with God. Listen, I'm not trying to be Johnny Raincloud here, but the chaos will never subside. It will ebb and flow because there's different seasons. But if Moses had waited until they got to Israel to meet with God, he would have missed him completely. The point is, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the exhaustion, in the midst of the difficulty, we find a time and a location to quiet our souls and engage with God. Third thing we see is that of posture. Notice 
Moses' posture before the Lord. He doesn't come with an agenda. He doesn't come with a series of questions and start peppering him with all these things he wants and needs. I'm sure that was a part of it at different times. But his heart seems to be more about being with God and receiving from God his presence than necessarily about getting stuff done. In fact, listen to what Peter Scazzaro says about this. Um, He says, the daily office or this daily pursuit of God is not so much about turning to God to get something as it is about turning to God to simply be with God. If you had a chance to be um, at any of our core gatherings over the past couple of weeks, you would have heard Sung talk about this. This idea of being with God, that God is with us and learning to rest in the presence of being with him. Again, if you're anything like me, I have a tendency to move from one thing to the next. Fast, fast, fast. In fact, sometimes I can treat God like a drive through window. And I go through and I pick up my drive through Jesus and I go on to the next thing of my life. But really there's this posture that we need to possess where we simply rest and we sit with God. Rest in his presence with him. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you separated yourself from the noise? If you're a new parent and you're dealing with with young children and there's no way you can get out of the house, maybe it means just simply going to the bathroom and turning on the fan, locking the door because the kids will bust that down. (laughs) And just being with him, even if it's for 30 seconds or a minute. When was the last time we found a time and a location where we could posture ourselves before the Lord and just be with him? And here's the thing, as we spend time with him, I think that there's a couple questions that regardless of what that time looks like, these questions have to be at the core of this time that we spend with God in the tent. First question is that of this, what is God showing me in scripture? What's he showing me in scripture? And second question is, what am I going to do about it? What's God showing me in Scripture, and what am I going to do about it? Listen to me, application is key. In fact, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. It's the very end. He says, he who hears these words of mine applies them or puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on rock. Conversely, he who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the fool who built his house on sand. What ultimately determined the quality of their foundation was the application of the words that God gave them. Listen to me, application is key. What is God teaching me in scripture and what am I going to do about it? So when we withdraw and we take time at a specific location and we sit in his presence and are with him, God, what are you teaching me and what am I gonna do about it? Here's the reality. For a lot of us today, um, we don't necessarily know what this looks like. We're brand new at this Christianity stuff. We don't really know how to uh, basically put up a tent and and be with God. (laughs) If that's you this morning, that's okay, because we all start in the same place. My encouragement to you um, after the service is to check out this book. We have copies of them in the lobby. And this book is just very simply Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day by Peter Scazzaro. And basically what it talks about is is how do we formulate this time with God in the tent? Whether it looks like this, 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 or this is irrelevant. It's more about how do I posture the time that I have, whether it's five minutes, 50 seconds, or 50 minutes. What does it look like for me to posture myself before him and be with God in the tent? So for a lot of us today, the application 
of what is God showing me and what am I gonna do about it? The application is pick up the book. Find a time and a location to start reading it and being with God. For others of us today, the application uh, centers less about what that time with God looks like because we're good at doing that and it more centers around finding a time to do it. Because again, if you're anything like me, I've, I've been walking with God for over 20 years. I know how to put up the tent and be with God. The question is not whether I know how to do that. The question is, will I actually do it? And for some of us this morning, we had the best of intentions, but we need to follow through with action to set up that time and that location in the midst of the chaos and be with him. For others of us this, this morning, the application would, would maybe center around something different. We're just killing it when it comes to our time with God. We know how to withdraw from the chaos. We, we know how to put up the tent. We're having great conversations with God. We're applying the stuff he's teaching us. We're reading scripture. We're growing in leaps and bounds. That's awesome. Let me challenge you with this implication. Who are you teaching to do that? Who are you teaching to do that? Because the greatest thing we can give this world is our intimacy with Jesus. And again, if you're like me, I, I can have this tendency to have this great fruitful time with God while I watch my brothers and sisters and everybody else around me struggle to put up their tent. Listen, if you know how to put up the tent and you how to know how to spend time with God, I believe it's incumbent upon us by the Great Commission to teach other people how to put up the tent and how to be with Jesus. And for some of us today, we need to start bringing people along with us as we learn to be with him. In fact, notice who else did that? Moses. Moses did that. Who'd he take to the tent with him? Joshua. Joshua would learn how to grow in a relationship with God, how to be with God by watching Moses. And it would so impact him that God would actually begin to use him down the road as the next leader of Israel. Because this is what we see as a result, is that our intentional pursuits of God have a tendency to affect or overflow into the world around us. Just, just look at Israel. When Moses would stand up and go to the tent, they would stand up and go to the tent. When Moses would be with God, they would go to be with God. When Moses would stand up and worship, they would stand up and worship. When Moses would stand up and go back and apply things, they would go back and apply things. Again, Moses' intentional pursuit of God began to spill over and to affect those around him, including Joshua. He sort of became like a sponge. Sponges by nature are little sea creatures, right, that, that we use to wash our dishes. It's kind of crazy. But a sponge absorbs the water in the dish soap that we put in it. It allows us to wash those dishes. And then what it absorbs, when we put the, the, uh, the sponge down on the countertop, what does the sponge do to the countertop? It saturates it. Because what it absorbs, it begins to saturate. In the same way, what we absorb in our time with God will begin to saturate the world around us. And that's exactly what happened to Moses as he intentionally pursues God and it affects the people of Israel and it affects and overflows into Joshua's life as well. And I love how this story ends in verse 11. In the midst of Moses' intentional pursuit of God, it leads Moses to intentionally pursue God, leads everybody else to as well, leads Joshua to as well, and then what does Joshua do? When everybody else leaves Joshua lingers. He lingers in the presence of God. 
His intentional pursuit of God has led to application where he wants more and more and more of God. He wants to continue to absorb and soak him up. It's, it's, it's like Joshua is saying, okay, I know we sang the last song, and I know that we uh, heard a benediction, we sang the, the doxology, and our worship leader said to go in peace and go and be the church. But Joshua's like, I want it to linger. I'm not done yet. Again, it might be 15 seconds, it might be 30 seconds, it might be another minute, I don't know. But Joshua wants to linger in the presence of the Lord. For a lot of us this morning, we are in the midst of craziness. It's like we're trying to lead our careers or our families or our ministries from Egypt to Canaan and we're overwhelmed. Listen, brothers and sisters, let's take some time in the midst of the chaos. Let's withdraw to a place where we can put up a tent and where we can engage and be with God, and listen, can we let it linger? Don't be like me. Don't, don't be quick to move on to the next thing, but be quick to let it linger. Again, for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, just let the presence of God linger and move and shape. Listen, he will show up. He will encourage. He will challenge you. He will grow you. He is with you. So listen, let it linger. So let's push reset on our pursuits of God. This week, will we take time, will we find a location, and will we posture our hearts before the Lord, asking his presence to linger with us, to be with us? Let's pray.